And sisters, hear the good news. You are sons of God, and he is our heavenly father. And like a good father, he does not give us a stone when we need bread. Indeed, he provides abundantly for us, even when we were prodigal sons. Like a good father, he calls us back when we've gone wayward. He clothes us with righteousness and cleanses us for the feast he sets before us as we enter his presence. And the feast he invites us to is no ordinary feast with no ordinary meal. He feeds us with Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of the Father, who came to the world he created to save his wayward brothers. Having truly confessed our sins, God himself promises you the forgiveness of the Father, the victory of the Son, and the glory and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Believe this and rejoice. Hallelujah. And God's people say, Amen. God's word to us this morning begins in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 23, beginning in verse 13. Hear the word of the Lord. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from men. For you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses, even while for a pretense you make long prayers. Therefore you shall receive greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel about on sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves." Woe to you, blind guides, who say, whoever swears by the temple, that is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obligated. You fools and blind men, which is more important, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, that is nothing, but whoever swears by the offering upon it, he is obligated. You blind men, which is more important, the offering or the altar that sanctifies the offering? Excuse me. Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by both the altar and by everything on it. And he who swears by the temple swears both by the temple and by him who dwells within it. And he who swears by heaven swears both by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish, so that the outside of it may become clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous. And say, if we had been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in shedding of blood of the prophets. Consequently, you bear witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers, 
How shall you escape the sentence of hell? Therefore, behold, I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. That upon you may fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things shall come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together, the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. For I say to you, from now on you shall not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. And he answered and said, Do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here shall be left upon another, which, was not, which will not be torn down. We'll turn now to Second Chronicles chapter 2. Beginning in verse 1. Now Solomon decided to build a house for the name of Yahweh and a royal palace for himself. So Solomon assigned 70,000 men to carry loads and 80,000 men to quarry stone in the mountains and 3,600 to supervise them. Then Solomon sent word to Huram, Huram the king of Tyre, saying, As you dealt with David my father and sent him cedars to build him a house to dwell in, do so for me. Behold, I am about to build a house for the name of Yahweh, my God, dedicating it to him to burn fragrant incense before him and to set out the showbread continually and to offer burnt offerings morning and evening on Sabbaths and on new moons and on the appointed feasts of Yahweh, our God, and this being required forever in Israel. And the house which I am about to build will be great, for greater is our God than all the gods. But who is able to build a house for him? For the heavens and the highest heavens cannot contain him. So who am I that I should build a house for him except to burn incense before him? And now send me a skilled man to work in gold, silver, brass, and iron, and in purple, crimson, and violet fabrics, and who knows how to make engravings to work with the skilled men whom I have, whom I have in Judah and Jerusalem, whom David my father provided. Send me also cedar, cypress, and algum timber from Lebanon, for I know that your servants know how to cut timber of Lebanon, and indeed my servants will work with your servants." to prepare timber in abundance for me, for the house which I am about to build will be great and wonderful. Now behold, I will give to you, your servants, the woodsmen who cut the timber, 20,000 cores of crushed wheat, and 20,000 cores of barley, and 20,000 baths of wine, and 20,000 baths of oil. Then Huram king of Tyre answered in a letter and sent to Solomon, Because Yahweh loves his people, he has made you king over them. Then Huram continued, Bless Blessed be Yahweh, the God of Israel, who has made heaven and earth, who has given King David a wise son, endowed with discretion and understanding, who will build a house for Yahweh and a royal palace for himself. And now I am sending a skilled man, endowed with understanding, Huram Abi, the son of a Danite woman and a Tarian father, who knows how to work in gold, silver, bronze, iron, stone, and wood, and in purple, violet, linen, and crimson fabrics, and who knows how to make all kinds of engravings and to execute any design which may be assigned to him, to work with your skilled men and with those 
of my Lord David your father. Now then let my Lord send to his servants wheat and barley, oil and wine of which he has spoken, and we will cut whatever timber you need from Lebanon and bring it to you on rafts by the Sea of Joppa so that you may carry it up to Jerusalem. And Solomon numbered all the aliens who were in the land of Israel following the census which his father David had taken, and 153,600 were found. And he appointed 70,000 of them to carry loads and 80,000 to quarry stones in the mountains and 3,600 supervisors to make the people work. Now please turn to the back of your bulletin. We'll read together as a congregation Psalm 96. Psalm 96. O sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar in all that fills it. Let the field exult in everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two one-year-old lambs each day, continually. The one lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. And there shall be one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with one-fourth of a hin of beaten oil and one-fourth of a hin of wine for a libation with one lamb. And the other lamb you shall offer at twilight and shall offer with it the same tribute offering as the morning and the same libation uh, for a soothing aroma, an offering by fire, bridal food for Yahweh. It shall be a continual ascension throughout your generations at the doorway of the tent of meeting before Yahweh, where I will meet with you to speak to you there. And I will meet there 
with the sons of Israel. And it shall be consecrated by my glory. And I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. I will also consecrate Aaron and his sons to minister as priests before me. And I will dwell among the sons of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am Yahweh, their God, who brought them up out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am Yahweh, their God. The most frequent And the only basis of approaching God before the coming of Jesus Christ was an ascension offering. The ascension offering is quite something. It happened every day in the morning and every day at twilight. Every day of the year, it always happened. It had a grain offering, a tribute offering for God, mixed with beaten oil, and it had a fourth of a hin of wine, about 50 ounces of wine that was poured out. And this happened in the morning and the evening. It is food for God. Of course, God doesn't need anything but he's drawing a picture for us. And it's a picture of a marriage. We're at the doorway of the house. God meets with his bride. And the offering by fire is bridal food. He eats his wife. In other words, they're intimate. Now, of course, God's not intimate like that with men and women, but that's the picture to give us a sense of the importance of the tent of meeting and all of its furniture within it and everything that happens at it. And the tent of meeting, the word meaning is, is, uh, oh, I'm forgetting the Hebrew, levod or something like that. I I can't remember the Hebrew right at the moment. It means appointment, appointed ma'od. That's what it is, ma'od. It means appointment. In other words, there's an appointment. And so when the sun and the moon and stars are created in Genesis chapter 1, therefore signs and seasons, and the word seasons is appointments, and for days and for years. And when you come to the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 23, we are told of seven Sabbaths that are the appointed times of God. This is the meeting. And where do you go? You go to the tent, which is an appointment place. That's where you meet the Lord, at the doorway of the tent. And you have this doorway, and you walk in, and the first thing you come to is the bronze altar And in the bronze altar, a burnt offering, an ascension offering is sent up. It happens in the morning. It happens in the evening. 
on feast weeks, like uh, the Feast of, of uh, Unleavened Bread, like the Feast of Weeks. You have the daily uh, ascension offerings in the morning and the evening. And you have these massive offerings. One bull, two rams, seven lambs, with their flour and oil, and libations, each of them, for seven days in a row. Still, you have your ascensions on daily. And since you're going to cross a Sabbath in that time, there's an ascension offering on the Sabbath. Every Sabbath, you have the regular daily ascension in the morning and evening, and you have two more ascensions on the Sabbath. And you work your way through all the appointed times of Israel, and there are these massive ascensions, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement. Feast of Trumpets and the Day of Atonement have two bulls, one ram, and seven lambs. And the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles is quite something in and of itself because there are 70 bulls that are offered in one week, starting with 13 the first day, 12 the next day, 11, all the way down to 7. You add those up, there are 70. And along with them, you have uh, a ram and 14 lambs every day. You get the picture? Well, one thing's for sure is at the tent of meeting, when you go to meet with the Lord, it doesn't smell that good. It doesn't sound that good. And there's no, nobody's saying, Okay, let's sing this softly in worship of the Lord. Because you got animals with their throats being slit. And you got trumpets and cymbals and it's quite something. But the point is this. If you want to meet with God, you meet through an ascension offering. It is a picture of you going up to meet with God. You take an animal and you slit its throat and you pour out the blood at the base of the altar and you cut it up in pieces and you arrange on the altar, on top of the wood, on top of the fire, the head and the suet and all the parts of the animal, and you've laid your hand on that animal to identify with it so that it is taking your place, it's substitutionary, and up you go. The blood's splashed against the bronze altar to signify that your sin is forgiven. But that's just the beginning of the offering. Christ died not just to forgive our sins, but to make us new. And so the animal goes up transformed into smoke. God breathes into the animal in, eating the animal. You get a picture of becoming part with God. As Second Peter tells us, we participate in the divine nature. You want to meet with God in the Old Testament? 
you meet through an ascension. Doesn't happen that way after the cross, does it? Well, yeah, it does, come to think of it. But one ascension offered one time and never offered again. And Jesus ascended in a transformed body. And he sat down at the right hand of the Father as our forerunner. And so we are invited to do something that could not be done in the Old Testament. Hebrews repeatedly says it. And it's speaking corporately. Now, don't misunderstand. All of us can approach individually. But that surely is not, is not, is not the Bible's emphasis. The Bible's emphasis is corporately. Because we're the bride of God. And so when it says, let us therefore draw near to the throne of grace, it's telling us, it's speaking in the plural, us, all of us, draw near to the throne of grace, which is in the very throne room where God is enthroned and Jesus at his right hand, that we may receive grace and mercy at the appropriate time, at just the right time. Well, we come to the beginning of the building of the temple under Solomon in 2 Chronicles chapter 2. And 2 Chronicles chapter 2 is the preparation. In chapter 3, we'll start building. This building happens in the fourth year, second day, second month of the fourth year, we start building. And it takes 20 years to build, combined, the temple and uh, the royal house. So we're 24 years into Solomon's reign. He reigned 40 years. There are 16 years left of his reign, just to get a perspective. So his whole, the whole emphasis on Solomon in 2 Chronicles is the temple. That's not so in Kings, because we hear about Solomon's sin with his thousand wives, but not so in Chronicles. The whole emphasis is on the temple. Why? Well, there are lots of reasons we could give, but I gave you one just now from Exodus 29, because God is going to meet with Israel at the doorway of the temple. When they came into the land, they wandered around, or the tent wandered around, until a place was fixed, Jerusalem. And now the uh, abiding place of God, the resting place of God is going to be built where Yahweh's people at rest with him will come and worship. They'll come three times a year for the feast, the feast of Passover or unleavened bread, the feast of weeks and the feast of booths. There are 52 Sabbath feasts and there's the Feast of Trumpets, and there's the Feast of Atonement. Well, actually, it's not a feast. It's a non-feast. You fast that day. And there is the, called a Sabbath, a feast in connection with the barley loaf at Passover. All, all of those. But this all requires a temple for God to be in permanently entrenched dwelling among his people at rest. David puts the nation at rest under God's help 
in 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles were at rest. It's true that you see that Solomon's equipped himself to defend. It's not that there's never a war under Solomon, but the nation is at rest. And so now, as we're told in 2 Chronicles chapter 1, now Solomon purposed to build a house for the name of Yahweh and a royal palace for himself. And you might get the impression that we're talking about two different kinds of structures, but the word house and palace are the same word. It's just a, it's a house. They're going to be built differently, but it's a house. And then it tells us in verse 2, so Solomon assigned 70,000 men to carry burdens and 80,000 men to quarry stone in the mountains and 3,600 to supervise. And you come right down to the end of chapter 2 and notice in verse 17 it says, and Solomon numbered all the aliens, sometimes translated strangers, sometimes translated foreigners, numbered all the aliens who were in the land of Israel following the census which, was, which his father David had taken, and 153,600 were found, and he appointed 70,000 of them to carry burdens and 80,000 to quarry stones in the mountains and 3,600 supervisors to make the people work. So you have bookends. Ah, oh, just a style in the Bible. Bookends. And it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because now we're not talking about citizens of Israel. We're reminding Ephesians, the Gentiles were not citizens of the commonwealth of Israel. These people were not citizens either. They were aliens, strangers. They were Gentiles. Now, they could become a citizen, some of them, not all of them, but most of them could become citizens. They would have to be circumcised to become Jewish to be a citizen of the commonwealth of Israel. They could do that. But here they are, they're sojourners, they're strangers, they're aliens, they live in the land, they work in the land, all the judgments of the land apply to them, they have to live by the law of the land. And you're not allowed to mistreat them. You must follow the law. They need justice too. They do not have every privilege as, as a citizen that you would have as a citizen because they're not citizens. And something that you know, we, we would find today just tremendously upsetting is they are forced into labor. In other words, Solomon took 153,600 men and he said, this is what you're going to do. And by the way, fellas, it's going to take 20 years. Now, Solomon is a man of peace. Solomon is a man who's going to treat people fairly. So I'm sure that his uh, families were taken care of. But they went away rotating months to work. And they were gone. They didn't have a choice. Well... That's the way it is mostly around the world. That's the way it's been through history. That's the way it's been under Yahweh 
God. He decides who and what and where we're going to be. And you and I have the privilege of living in a land that is relatively free. Lots of people don't have that privilege. And somehow we think that God's designed for everyone to have that privilege, and it just isn't so. So in the Roman Empire, during all those years, 60% of the people were servants, not citizens. They didn't have a choice. Well, we're grateful for where we live, but I want to suggest then you have these bookends, and we're, we're being told who's going to build this house. Th these men worked at it, and they're Gentiles. They have skin in the game. But they're forced laborers. So on the outside, we have these two, group, uh, these two bookends of about the 153,600 men. And then in the middle, we have two letters. One letter is from Solomon to Hiram. Now, if you go back to 1 Chronicles, you'll find the spelling H-I-R-A-M. In 2 Chronicles, you'll find the spelling H-U-R-A-M. Sometimes the spelling is H-U-R-O-M. It's all the same guy. Now, remember, in Hebrew, you just have consonants. You don't have, you don't have uh, vowels like a U and a A. So what they do in Hebrew is they put little points out there. And it used to be in your Hebrew text when you open it up, that's all there was was consonants. There were no points. And every letter was shoved together. You had to learn expertly how to read that stuff. And uh, then over time, people began to point it to help people read it. And so the pointings are not inspired. The consonants are inspired. So when we say, oh, well, there's a mistake. Here's Hiram and here's her. No, no mistake. Just different pointings. Same radicals. So two letters are written. Look at verse 3. Then Solomon sent word to Hiram, the king of Tyre, saying, As you dealt with David my father, and sent him cedar to build him a house to dwell in, a house to dwell in, so do with me. In other words, I want your help. And so he's going to go on and he's going to describe what he's going to do, and then he's going to ask for help. He goes on. Behold, I am about to build a house for the name of Yahweh my God, dedicating it to him to burn fragrant incense before him and to set out showbread continually, and to offer ascension offerings morning and evening on Sabbaths and on new moons and on the appointed feasts of Yahweh our God, this being required forever in Israel. Now, if your Bible italicizes what's not really in the text, you can see there's a whole lot of stuff in there that's italicized. It's the sense, though. And the house which I am about to build will be great. For greater is our God than 
all the gods. Persistent. Greater is our God than all the gods. But who is able to build a house for him? For the heavens and the highest heavens cannot contain him. So who am I that I should build a house for him? Except to burn incense before him. So... David says, we're, we're building this great house. And uh, as we go through the building, we, we realize it, it was a great wonder in the world of Adam. Just fantastically marvelous. And he gives us a reason. It's going to be a great house because when it comes to a temple, our God is greater than all other gods. So his temple must be the greater temple. So I'm building a fantastic house for our God. But then he's got a little question. But who is there who can build a house for God? The, high, the heavens and the highest heavens cannot contain him. So who am I to build a house? Except, except. Now, you realize this kind of language comes from Isaiah chapter 6. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that will contain me? There isn't such a thing. After all, God is, always was, before anything else was. So when he created, he made something outside of himself. He's everywhere. He cannot be contained. He is this great God. And that's what Solomon is recognizing. But Solomon also recognizes something else. And he's giving an explanation to Hiram about this great God and this temple that's going to be. Who is the one who could do this? Well, the answer is, really, nobody could do it. So who am I that I should do it? Well, he's Solomon, and he's the one chosen by God back in 1 Chronicles, chapters 22 through 29. He's the one chosen by God to build it. But he's talking about himself as a person. What value do I have? What, what am I worth? What, what, why, why could I do this? Well, he gives one reason, except to burn incense before him. So what Solomon is saying is the only reason that I get to build this house is so that a burning can take place in this house. Now, you notice incense, if you have numeric standard, I don't know what your other translations do, it's in italics because it's not there. It just says to burn. So if you look at the King James, it'll say to burn sacrifice. Look at some other translations, it'll say sacrifice. Incense po is possible. Sacrifice is possible. But I submit to you, ascension is probable. Because that's how God meets with man in the Old Testament, in ascension. To burn ascension. So Solomon is saying, I'm building this house so that God will meet with us. 
And when you come to chapter 7, after Solomon has dedicated it, God comes to him in a vision at night and he says, I have accepted this place for sacrifice. Here's where I'm going to meet with man through sacrifice. He goes on and he says, and now send me a skilled man to work in gold, silver, brass, and iron, and in purple, crimson, and violet fabrics, and <clears throat> who knows how to make engravings to work with skilled men whom I have in Judah and Jerusalem, whom David my father provided. Send me also cedar, cypress, and algum timber from Lebanon, for I know that your servants know how to cut timber of Lebanon, and indeed my servants will work with your servants. Prepare to prepare timber in abundance for me, for the house which I am about to build will be great and wonderful. So, before he says it's going to be great because our God's greater than all the grads, now he says it's going to be great and wonderful. This word wonderful is a word that means extraordinary, wonderful. It's attached to the miraculous things God has done in the Old Testament, like the plagues that he brought on Egypt, like the deliverance of the nation of Israel through the Red Sea, like the conquest of the land and the various victories, all the things that God has done that man would not be able to do on his own. These are called wonders or they're extraordinary. Uzziah was a king of 52 years who was a great king and he made all kinds of improvements and he developed war machines to protect the people and it says he prospered being wondrously helped. In other words, he got all this done because God was behind him doing it. But then he became proud. And he went in to offer incense on the altar of incense in the holy place, and he gained leprosy. So what we're seeing then is what's going to be built, and it's described in the terms of the greatness of the transcendent God who cannot be contained, who can do whatever he wants to do, and what in the world is mankind going to have to do with him? How would you possibly meet with him? Well, David tells us at this great house, this extraordinary house, you're going to meet with him at the doorway in ascension. In ascension. Verse 11. Then Hiram, excuse me, verse 10, I didn't read. Now, behold, I will give to you, to your servants, the woodsman who cut the timber, 20,000 cores of uh, crushed wheat and 20,000 cores of barley and 20,000 cores of wine and 20,000 uh, baths of wine and 20,000 baths of oil. So David is saying, okay, what I want is timber. I'll pay for it. 
what I want is a skilled person to come and help my people build this because this is a great house. This is an extraordinary house. This is where God is going to meet with his people. This is where God is going to meet with his bride. I want your help, just as you helped my father. And Hiram, 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 is willing. And so he writes back. Then Hiram, king of Tyre, answered in a letter sent to Solomon, because Yahweh loves his people, he has made you king over them. Now, you think all around this world and every country has heads of state. And Romans chapter 13 tells us that God has appointed them. And many of those heads of states, probably most of those heads of states, are not very nice, good people. God appointed them. They will answer for what they do in their country one day before God, but God appointed them. And Hiram is making a point here. God loves his people. And so Solomon, he appointed you as king. Now, the book of Song of Solomon is really all about this. It's true that it happens out on a human level, but it's really a book that is about God and his people at his temple. But here is just, just an extraordinary point that a Gentile makes. Sometimes we think, well, you know, here you have Israel and then the world outside and all those people are outside are heathen and we forget, wait a minute, wait a minute. In the Old Testament, many, many Gentile leaders came to believe in Yahweh God. And this is what's happened with Hiram. Just like Nebuchadnezzar, just like Cyrus. Just like Darius, these men, through the witness of this central nation, the center of the earth, they have come by way of that witness, the way they live, what they do, how they speak, they have come to believe in Yahweh God. Then Hiram continued, blessed be Yahweh the God of Israel, who has made heaven and earth, who has given King David a wise son endowed with discretion and understanding, who will build a house for Yahweh and a royal house for himself. Now, the rest of what Hiram has to say is agreeing to the terms. He's going to send a man. This man is Hiram Abi. Abi means my father. Nobody can quite figure out why that's there, but that's his name, Hiram Abi. And Hiram Abi is skilled in all the ways Solomon is looking for a man to be skilled. And in addition, he is half Jewish. His mother's from the tribe of Dan. His father is from Tyre. Just
what I was going to say slipped my mind, and it's a good thing because now it came back and it was wrong. So now let me fix it, even though you don't know it was wrong. When you look in the, the book of First Chronicles, you see the same thing, except it's not from Dan, it's from Naphtali. So again, you see some scribal problems in transmission. But here, uh, you have a, a man who is a half-breed, Jew and Gentile, brought together in one person who's doing all this artistic work on this temple. You have a king who has this vast territory of Lebanon, and he sends all of this wood. It's true, Solomon pays for it, but what I'm saying is the Gentiles have the skin into the temple. It's not so Jewish that Gentiles couldn't participate. And it makes you realize that this is partly why in Isaiah, which is quoted in Matthew and Mark and Luke, Jesus says, my, the house that's called by my name shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. Yeah, because how did a Gentile meet with God? It's real simple. They came as a foreigner into the land and went to the doorway of the tabernacle, the doorway of the temple, with an ascension offering. The way the Ethinobi eunuch came, with an ascension offering. And they met with God. We don't do that anymore. So what I want you to see is, okay, Solomon's building this temple. And it's this vast temple that's great and extraordinary, and it's the place where God is going to meet with his people. You want to meet with God? You go to the temple. Jesus also is building a temple. And there are many passages in the New Testament that tell us about the building of that temple. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 21, 22, is one of those places where the emphasis is on stones being selected and this temple being built and then God lives in it. There's a picture of it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 where Paul is talking about the people who work for God. They work in his field and then they work on a house and they're building this house and it's being constructed and the emphasis there is on the payment they get for constructing it, the rewards that they get. Then you have the picture in 1 Peter chapter 2. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, you have an emphasis that is much like what's being said in the opening passage I read you from Exodus chapter 29 and what David, I mean, excuse me, Solomon is saying in Chronicles. Turn, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 2, excuse me. 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 4, and coming to him as living stones, as a living stone rejected by men, but choice and valuable in the sight of God. I, I, I just don't like the translation precious. Uh, it's true, there are precious stones and all of that, but it just makes me think of a southern Texas woman saying, oh, that's so precious. And the word comes from the word money, this word precious, and it means valuable. You also, as living stones, 
are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The emphasis in 1 Peter is this people house being built. Of course, in the New Testament, the temple is always a people house. Hyde read to us out of Matthew 24, the temple was destroyed in A.D. 70. Starting in A.D. 30, they weren't working on anything physical like that. The apostles were building a people house. It's where the temple was going all along in the Old Testament. That's why we can say with, uh, with dogmatism, there will never be a physical temple in God's plan again. Never. Wonderful book I was reading because of something I have to do at the end of the month by Sam Storms. It's called Kingdom Come. It's just a short book, about 600 pages. But it, it, he takes an all-millennial position. I don't take the same, but it is an outstanding book. Just absolutely outstanding. He's just so close to where I am. Oh, he'll get there. <laughs> but he makes that point all along. It's a people temple. Can a building contain God? No. Can people even contain God? Well, not exactly, but think of it. You had one temple in Jerusalem, and now you have outpost temples. You have temples all around this globe. McKinney Bible Church. First Baptist Church up here. Temples where God dwells, not in the building itself, but in the people who come to the building. And this building is made so that man can meet with God and offer up sacrifices through Jesus Christ that are acceptable to God. And the main sacrifice, turn if you would to Hebrews chapter 13. Whoops, wrong book. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. Through him, then, let us, up, uh, let us continually, the burnt offering is a continual offering, offer, con uh, continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. The explanation of that sacrifice. That is, the fruit of lips that give thanks to him, that give thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. The fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. Now, I'm sure some of you have translations that are more accurate because it doesn't say they give thanks to his name. That is not the word in the Greek. It just isn't there. It's the word confess. 
the fruit of lips that make a homologia. It's a congregation of believers who make a homologia. Logos means word. Homo means one word. They have one word. It's an important word in the book of Hebrews. It's a confession. It's where we get like the Helvetic Confession or the Westminster Shorter Catechism Confession. That's where we, we get the word from, right out of Hebrews. It's a confession. We, we are in this temple, and the temple with Christ is us. And in this temple, as we come week by week, we read scripture together, we make a confession. We sing praises to his name together. We make a confession. With such sacrifices, God is well pleased. And this, my friends, is how we meet with God. As a group of people, this is how we meet with God. I'm not saying you can't pray at home. I'm not saying you can't sing a song at home. I'm not saying any of that. I am saying God's interest, not fully, but God's interest is in the temple in which he dwells, you and me corporately. And so when we come, it ought to be just like it was. It, you, you think through Israel's appointed times, their Sabbaths, their feasts. There's only one feast, the Day of Atonement, where they fast. The only fast in the Old Testament is the Day of Atonement. That's it. No other fast. The only fast. And on that day, they humble themselves and they confess their sin. Now, they confess sins at other points, but all the other, the Sabbaths, the trumpets, all of them are times for joy and rejoicing. And what do they have? They have all these sacrifices. And most of them have with it a week-long celebration with meat and wine and beer. Well, not until they got into the promised land, but that's exactly what the Old Testament is teaching. Now, I'm not trying to teach you that at church we need to drink wine and beer. I'm not saying that. I'm just telling you what the Old Testament says. There were times of joy. When we come together, we're, 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 we're so privileged. And if the Old Testament temple was great, and extraordinary. What do you suppose the people temple is? It spans all around this globe and it includes ascension people. People have been transformed. They're different. They think different. They live different. They love different. They celebrate different. They're joyful differently. It's an extraordinary thing, and it is what? It's a wonder. It's wonderful. Why? Because only God could do it. And you and I sit here today because God has done this for us. We could be in a very dark land, a darkened country, where the gospels hardly penetrated. We could have been put there, but we weren't. We're right here because God made us in this temple to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, the fruit of lips that 
confess his name. Stand with me. Father, we want to thank you for your love for Solomon. And you demonstrated your love for your people by giving Solomon, a man who was wise and full of discretion and understanding, who could build this massive project over the course of 13 years using thousands and thousands of people. It took an extraordinary man, but we thank you more for the greatest man ever, our Lord Jesus Christ, whom you've loved from the foundation of the world and sending him, as Paul tells us, you demonstrated your own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we thank you that through him, we've been counted righteous and we have peace with you. Through him, we've been reconciled. Wrath is no more. Through him, we have a relationship with you that moves from this room as we gather into the heavens at your throne of grace. We give you thanks for our Savior. In Christ's name, amen.